two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Off the Top podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael Fanimo. You guys might know him on Twitter. His Twitter is at Michael Fanimo with the I replaced with an X for some reason. We're going to just be talking about, we're just going to be talking to him about different things from what he does scouting wise to the Premier League to international football. We're just going to talk about different things in the world of football today. Before we start, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, we're on every single podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we're there. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at the Off the Top Pod with an underscore at the end. Uh, follow me and Micah on Twitter. I'm at Chukso, C-H-U-K-X-O-O. And Micah is at Micah Fanimo. So, Micah, introduce yourself to the people. Hi. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's funny. Um, hi, I'm Micah. Um, people um, say that I'm controversial. I'm quite controversial. Um, yeah, so I've just jumped on this podcast to just, you know, talk about the beautiful game that we love from a more... I think, like, when people hear my voice and hear me speak, they might, like, I wouldn't say change their opinion of me, but they'll understand that I'm not just, like, I don't come to troll. And, like, there's a reason for everything that I believe in. I don't just try and push, like, a particular agenda um, in relation to that. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to, it's a pleasure to be a part of this. Um, taking time, enough time out of my day for us to talk about various different football topics, you know, different things in relation to players, player profiles, and just shed light on my understanding and maybe like some of the things I do. And hopefully some people can relate to that. Do you think you're more controversial on Twitter or like when you talk football, like normally, let's say you're talking to your friends or where do you think you're more controversial with your takes? Who do you think thinks you're more controversial? I mean, I think it's a bit of both because, like, if you n- met me in person, I have like um, I have a big personality, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So yeah, I get what you when mean. When I'm debate, when I'm debating, like, <laughs> it's like when you're listening to Stephen A. Smith, I can get like so dramatic. <laughs> I can get yeah. so dramatic. I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I can get so dramatic if that makes sense. So um. But I think, obviously, sometimes on Twitter, we, we troll. Like, we know that we're trolling or we're just saying things, like, tongue-in-cheek. To, you know, yeah. just... To, um, Trying to get the reaction. Yeah, just get a reaction, that kind of thing. But, like, I think right now, like, in person, like, before I was a lot more animated. Now I'm, I'm a bit more... I'm way more relaxed. Like, um, if somebody says something, I'll just be like, okay, why do you think that? And if they're giving me a good reason as to that, then that's them. I, I, I think how I debate now is that I know I can, I don't go into debates to try and change somebody else's opinion. I think that's impossible. Yeah. You can't change somebody's opinion on how they feel. If somebody says A is better than B or they prefer one to B and they give you reasons which they believe are valid to them, then okay, that's it. Like before I'll try and change somebody's mind and be like, oh, how could you think like that? You know, try and um, dumb them down for thinking such. But you actually can't. Some people interpret football differently. They see things differently. Not everybody sees things the same way. And I think that's the beauty of the game. I don't think there's yeah. ever... I was explaining this to um, the person that I do the podcast with who invited me on this podcast. I said that there... I mean, there are two things that are definite, that, that have been definite in football in my lifetime. That Messi and Ronaldo are the two best players that I've seen play football. 
I think that, I think in the history of football, I think it's gotten to the level where people can agree based on past and present that like Messi and Ronaldo are better than anybody that has ever played. Yeah. So you can put you can okay, I can put that as definite. Especially if I'm talking about let me not even let's not even say all time. Let's just say in this day, like let's say the past twenty years, I oh, can okay. say they're the best two that have ever played ball. And there's not much room for debate. Debate. However, who however between after those two and then the following people, there is not there's enough room to debate or oh, who is the second, who is the third. Do you get what I'm saying? That comes into debate. And like, obviously, people have their own opinions. So now I'm more like, I just respect people for their opinions. And then I just try and listen to them and not try and think that I'm, I know more. I just present my opinion. If you don't agree with it, then I'm fine. You don't agree with it. And because of that, my football conversations have gotten a lot shorter. <laughs> All right. In case people don't know, Micah is also the head of scouting, right? Head of scouting at Suck Analysis HQ, right? Nah, 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 nah. I work like the podcast is with the head of scouting. Oh, okay. So you so, do a podcast with the head of scouting at Soccer Analysis HQ. Yeah. The... So he, yeah. So he basically brought me on because of the things that I was doing. So in relation to being a licensed intermediary, he um, DM'd me. It's quite surprised when I saw it. It was just like, oh, would you like to like work together on a podcast? And I was just like, why are you asking me? Like, you're you're following his big enough you get yeah. what I'm saying? I think he, yeah but the thing look. the thing the thing isn't really about following is also you need someone that you think would be able to communicate with you and like reach connect with you on that level no matter how big your following is you might find someone that has like 300 followers on twitter but you see what he talks about on a daily basis and you feel okay this type of guy knows what he's talking about so let's try to bring him on to do that mm. type of thing because most people yeah. that have huge followings like football twitter is kind of like uh it's a weird place with, like, a lot of people that have a big following either are in two forms. You're either in the type of, like, you do good content, so a lot of people follow you, or you, you're you like a troll in a way, so a lot of people follow you for the trolling type of thing. Yeah. The in-between yeah. in is also is always the weird part of football Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Or I would say, like, stan accounts or yeah, accounts who yeah. are dedicated to a particular player. And yeah, if so, a particular player, a particular football club, just doing weird things about it's confusing, honestly. Yeah. All right. So, what what would you say it's your general background in football? You said you're a UEFA licensed intermediary. What exactly does that mean? So FA licensed. Ah, oh, FA licensed. Hopefully, the levels will increase. Um, but it's more in relation to looking after players. So before they had a, they had a, uh, they had a program where if you wanted to become a li um, a licensed agent within the country, you had to sit an exam. Yeah. So you have to pay. You have to sit an exam, and then based off of that exam, you can now go about representing players. If that makes sense, especially if you wanted to represent players on a bigger scale. If that makes sense, you wanted to work within the laws of the, um, the football league all the way from, especially just within the country, if that makes sense. And then the more, how I like got to that is because um, my brother was playing football, plays yeah. football, I should say that, and um, he got in and around some agents who I believed, although they had their best, in, they had his best interest at heart. Um, it didn't really deliver 
and obviously he found himself having to pick up the pieces of his career. So that's when I now had to like step step up and put myself in that position. Even though a lot of people said that I should have been his agent from the beginning, I just kind of felt that because of the way his career was going then and there, yeah. he didn't really need. I didn't really need to, you know. Um, if you if a player follows the trajectory that he's meant to go, you know, you could be thinking, oh, they don't need my help. They're good. Yeah, you yeah. Understand what I'm saying. So I didn't really want to get myself involved. Obviously. Um, football can chop and change so when it started to change and things weren't going in the best direction that's when I always mm-hmm. I had to step inside you know um, look after so it's just a day by day things in relation to a player um, his daily needs because I don't know most people don't know agents normally speak to their players all the time it's not just when like a transfer is about to happen or something yeah. like that you need to find out about their well-being on a day by day basis if there's anything that they need anything that they're looking to attain, trying to set them up with the right financial advisors so that by the time that their career finishes, they're in a good place. They would have owned um, the house that they need to, you know, that they're all just in a good place. The role of the agent is just to oversee the welfare of their client, not just during their career, but especially post their career. And I think that because it was a sibling of mine, it made me more invested into that. So it's more about being with him as much as I can you know, on a day-by-day basis, being able to work with different other agencies. Because when you first start, especially with, like, where I was coming from, I wouldn't say that I had the clientele that was needed to, you know, talk to different people about different clubs. So what you can then use, you can use yourself as a buffer. So let's say, like, I'm representing my brother now. I could have um, a big company come and say, or a big agency, they'll be like, I want to sign your brother but instead of signing, they will work with me. Yeah. If that makes sense. So they will, whatever profit there is, they will take a particular percentage of that. Might not be high. I might still get the lion's share, but it's like more of the, I'm using their resources and they're using the connection that I have, you know, with a family member in order to get yeah. things done. So that way it's both like a win-win situation. So just in relation to that. So that's all... I've been focusing on in that regards. Is it something that I would like to get more clients and more different players? I'm not too sure about that because it is something that's really, I would say, stressful. stressful. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, very stressful. Um, and I don't know if I'll be as invested if it's in, not it's, if a it wasn't member. a personal manner. Yeah. Yes, I don't think I'd be like. It, obviously, it's it, it's a huge advantage to have somebody you know who plays football that you know. You know, mm-hmm. it's even better if it's a sibling in that regard. But, you know, if it wasn't, you know, and I was never something that was invested in in the beginning. So how much more would I be after that? And I always want to, like, if I'm not putting my best into something, I always have to question why is the point that I am doing it, if that makes sense. I've always wanted to, like, work in football, but it doesn't necessarily mean being the agent of a player yeah. if that makes sense so. and, yeah and those type of things are always important especially for like people trying to grow up especially in england that's like mm-hmm. a huge um football country they mm-hmm. have a lot of they bring in they have a lot of young players that from like grassroots when they are pretty young and people's people tend to take try to take advantage of a lot of these type of players they don't yeah. have the best interests at heart for them they just mm-hmm. want to make quick money of them and it leads to a lot of sad stories in that's correct 
yeah, in different things. So it's always best to have someone to look after the players that you know has your best interest at heart, no matter what. Even if the person doesn't have like the resources, the person can lead you to the right resources and be able to take you to where your career should go to. That's that's correct. It's all about yeah. are your interests aligned, and it's uh, with me personally. I'll just say, if it's not a family issue. I don't think I have the kind of drive that will want me to do that particular role, if that makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. you could end up doing, you could work in football. You might want, you might not want to follow the agent. You might want to scout. You might have more interest in, you know, finding a player, seeing how that, de- that player develops. You might have more joy doing that. Some people have more joy in relation to coaching a player. You know, there are different aspects, you know, that you can get to in relation to the jobs inside football. And yeah. um, it's more about, obviously, I still, there's, there, there are more, I would say, more administrative roles because yeah. my end goal is that I definitely want to work for UEFA and FIFA, not necessarily for a club and not necessarily yeah. like doing just transfers. For the whole corporation of like UEFA. Just the whole corporation oh, yeah. of, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they have many different administrative yeah. roles and things like that. It doesn't, you might not even see the football pitch yeah, you, might, like, you might never see fo- it like football is like a it's like a business and like yeah. there's the business you you might be working for UEFA and you don't know anything about football like mm-hmm. you might be working for UEFA and it's the same thing about like it's the same thing of working for a company you might not know anything about what the company really does like what the consumer gets from the company let's say they 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 produce cars. Let's say a company that produces cars. You might not know anything about the car side of the business, but you're a pretty high-ranking member of that company. It's mm. a mm-hmm. whole. It's the same as football. Okay, getting into more football. What team do you support? Because like on Twitter, you're like an enigma. I would say like you're like I'm, in and out. I don't support like, any team. Factions. <laughs> I don't support any team. Like when people, you know how many people have DM me and asked. I mean, like, I don't support any team, unfortunately. And I feel like I'm at that age now. If, if I didn't support any team, I can't force myself to support team. I've always supported like different players, if that makes sense. So seeing how a, de- a player develops. If a player now moves to a bigger club, so for example, um, one of my favourite players that I ever watched was definitely Thierry Henry. I absolutely loved him. I adored him as a player. Like Just watching him play week in, week out was an absolute joy to me. When he moved to Barcelona, I started watching Barcelona more and more. So I used to comment on Barcelona games much more. And then people would ask, are you a Barcelona fan? I'm not a Barcelona fan. I just like watching or replay. Moved to the MLS. I was watching MLS, <laughs> believe it yeah. or not, just to see if he plays. Another one is like Pogba as well. When he was playing at Juventus, loved him. And I spent a lot of time watching Juventus during that period because they had both Pogba and Dybala. And I was so keen, especially because they were so young and so promised so much, um, so mm-hmm. much at such, such a young age. Watching them week in, week out grow was such a big thing for me. And then Pogba's moved to Manchester United. I still want to see exactly how his skill set develops and how it like um, translates across. And then while Dybala's staying in Juventus. So now like what happens is that it's almost like everything is spread out. In the, you know, I've got De Bruyne that I like following, Lothano. Mm-hmm. All of those players yeah. all around. So Tillemans. Yeah, Tillemans. Watching, just watching all of these players and see how they progress. I wouldn't say... I mean, the first league, even though I would say that, yeah, um, Omri was the first player that I fell in love with. The first league I ever started watching was Serie A. 
that was the mm. league that my dad introduced me to. Yeah. And I can never forget that he bought my um, brother a Ronaldo top R9 while he was still at Inter Milan. We're talking about, this is what, 90, 97, 98? Or, or I would say 97 was at Barcelona. So 98, 99, going into that. So it's been... It's been a long time. I can still remember watching. That was the first league I watched. One of the first few games I watched was the '99 um, Champions League final with Manchester yeah. United against Bayern Munich. So there's different. You know, I've watched so many games across. I've never had an affiliation to a club, and I don't think I, you know. I, but I think it's like when somebody's talking about a particular player from a club that I like, I can easily like jump across and support that player. So, but when people are reading the tweets, they'll be like, oh, "Is he a?" Uh, Leicester fan is he a United fan you know I get all of it all the time but you know I don't mind it I'm just I just um, like watching different players like succeed I always I always find it interesting with people because like you're not the only person I know that doesn't have a particular club that they support but I always find it interesting when I meet people like you that don't support the club because even like normally when I'm watching uh, it could be anything it could be I just throw on like the most random Serie A match I just start watching and I immediately start rooting for one side and it's so confusing like I, do, I have no relation to any of these teams I don't know anything about any of these teams but I just <laughs> want this team to win it's just yeah it's just something that happens to me and it's always interesting because like I don't think I'll, I could be the type of person to like not support a club or like not be like really into a particular team no matter mm-hmm. no matter what sport I get into even if I pick up a sport brand new, I never learned about sports. I always find a team, and it's almost impossible for me to change once I've decided. Okay, I'm going to support this team. Yeah, okay, but that's just that's me. Fair. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to another segment of this podcast. Is a scouting. Um, it's a scouting where we are just going to talk about what you look for when you try to look when you try to scout a player going from like when he's young to like his development up to when he's like an established player. And we're going to start in three different parts. We'll we'll start with like a defender. What are the things you look for when you're, when you see a defender, a young defender, and you want to see whether he has like the tools to like become elite in his position going forward? Hmm. When I would say elite in his position, it's, I wouldn't say it's difficult, but, um, the first thing, especially for a defender in this day and age, um, it's easy to point out physical attributes. So height, mm-hmm. um, you know, presence. You can just presence is not something that you. It's something it's almost like you something that you feel. That's even with the naked eye. Sometimes somebody could enter a room and it might just change. You're just like this person carries like a particular aura, or see how players react when that particular player is in and around them or on the pitch, mm-hmm. that could be like... But I think the biggest thing in relation to it is their awareness, their positional awareness on the pitch. I think these are the kind of things that it's hard to teach. Physical attributes such as pace, speed, you know, things like that. Okay, you know, they come and go in many players. Many players have, you know, these attributes. You can find a player that is fast you can find a player that is you know you know super supremely strong you know in relation to that card but yeah i think the most important thing is that physical attribute so um, defensive positioning is a big one for me does this player get caught a lot when they're out of position mm-hmm. yeah, I'm the same and, one for it. yeah 
how much how much stock do you put into like um being like being able to pass the ball from like a young age like you know a lot of defenders that like converted midfielders or like converted strikers that that have like the technique to be able to pass the ball they have a good range of passing and they have a good they have good vision how much stock do you mm-hmm. put into that as compared to like the defensive side of it how what's the correct balance is what i'm trying to say i put a lot more in relation to their ability i put a lot more in the defensive aspect in contrast to the fact that they can pass the ball i think the ability to pass the ball has been something which has come to prominence based off of how football is in this day and age do you mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? So yeah. right now, it, there's a lot of emphasis on every position or every player on the pitch in order to being able to pass the ball to a particular, to I say to a, to a above average level. You know, you want mm-hmm. um, if you're building play, you want to be able to build from the back. You want to be able to pass in you know in a particular kind of way. And I th- I think that's more just in a way in relation to how football goes. So if I'm looking for a player now. And I'm looking at a defender, and they can pass. It's a bonus. I would say it's a bonus. Priority, I believe, in relation to me, is your ability to defend. Now, if you can pass the ball, there's also you. You know, you you probably right now in this day and have in this day and age have a. Um, if I was going to say elongated, your career will probably be stretched out yeah. even more. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, because you could be. You know, you could play for a dominant team. You could, you know, your defensive um, capabilities might have, you know, um, degenerated to... Why do, I, why do I have a feeling that you're just describing um, Gerard Pique um, the way, like, his exact scenario right now for Barcelona? I wouldn't even say that I'm describing Pique. I'm more describing, like, Boateng. Or... But Boateng is, is finished compared yeah, to... Yeah, but, like, he's still, like, Hummels as well. Yeah, Hummels yeah. is like only 30 years old, but he wasn't the defender. Mm-hmm. He's not the defender that he was. However, yeah. he's a great passer of the ball. And when I was watching Dortmund this season, even though that they conceded early, the fact that they can use him to build the play, because right now possession is a form of defense. Mm-hmm. The fact that you, you can't can score him, if you don't have the ball. Exactly. It's... So for the fact that you can still build up play from the back, being comfortable on the ball, in this day and age, it's still so important. So they will, they will, you know, most likely be, you know, the creme de la creme when you're looking for a centre back. If you have, you know, that kind of centre back, you really have um, teams not right now who are going after players like um, the Diego Godins of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, however, he provides something which is harder to replace. Yeah, the fact that you know that it's going to be difficult to have my way or get through this particular player in this game. You have some players who have the ability to combine both, like Van Dijk has, you know, with Mm -hmm. great passing and great um, presence where it's hard to pass, where it's hard Mm -hmm. to pass this player. But more than likely, you will now see the fact that Van Dijk's career will be much more longer than people expect. He's only 28 now. But I can see him playing to 35, almost like... um, um, this is why this is why I think that um, what when did Vidic leave United? Um, so it was the f- season after this. So you know the David Moy season happened. It was just after the David Moy season. So 2014, 2014, I guess. Yeah. 
And when did and when did Ferdinand leave? I think the year after that same year, 2015 or yeah, 2014. Okay. If you look at it, you could potentially say that when I'm looking at Vidic and Rio Ferdinand, mm-hmm. you could it's just two different, you know, some people may agree, some people may disagree, but I'm looking at Vidic now, the fact that you could play in there and not ask for much. Yeah. You don't have to, you didn't have to ask for much because he was never going to give you more than what he could. You look at the likes of Sammy Hupia that has played football for a long time. You know, even like the Fashelnis that stayed, you know, late in his career, you weren't asking them to be dominant on the ball. Mm -hmm. You were more asking them to have positioning, mark the space, take the um, whoever the top striker is out of the game. And they had the ability to do that. You understand what I'm saying? If you're more of a passing CB, you know, it is possible that your career will last long and it's easy to hide your deficiencies. It's easier to hide that you're no longer as good as you once were. Very mm-hmm. easy. Now, I'm a big fan of Benucci. Huge fan. But I would personally say his level of defending in the last has slipped. Years has seriously slipped. Because in about 2014, I think it was one of... Uh, 2014, 15, 16, it was at its highest level. He combined great passing because he's a su- superb passer out of the back and his level of defending. But... His level of defending has slipped so much, but because of the fact that he can still pass to a high level, mm-hmm. it's almost been, I wouldn't say overlooked, but there's not enough, you know, attention paid on it, paid to it. Now, if you look at uh, Kelini now, he's managed to still hold on to that, hone into that, you know, tough, physical, last man tackling, defending. And yeah. right now, people are taking him as a more superior, you know, player. But, couple seasons ago, you know, people weren't really saying, oh, is Kalini superior? People would still say, oh, I would rather have Benucci because he combines, you know, the ability yeah. to pass and defend to a good level. You understand what I'm saying? Another yeah. one is like, you could use, um, what's his name? Um, PK and Ramos. Like you initially, um, not PK and Ramos, PK and Puyo. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, Puyo wasn't as uh, the passer that PK was. Mm-hmm. You know, after a certain type of, uh, you know, the wear and tear, the positioning, marking the best striker out of the game, you know, you know, your body breaks down. PK right now, I believe, will have a more elongated career because of the fact that he can pass out of the back. You know, so yeah. it's helping these players. You know, he plays for a more ball dominant side. It's helping yeah. these players to have a longer career. And, you know, it's able to, they're able to mask the things that they don't have because more emphasis is being placed on the fact that you can pass the ball out of the back. Yeah. And R.I.P. Chiellini, he tore his ACL, so he's ACL, out for the, yeah. yeah, he's out for the yeah. season. But I get I, I get what you mean when you say that because of the because of the style of the style of defenders, especially when it comes to centre backs, when you're more rugged and you're more of I'll say uh you're more you dive into tackles, you're more of a man on man trying to get at yeah. you. Get at the striker. You take a lot of physical. The physical toll on your body takes takes adds up in a way that mm-hmm. it starts to eat at the length of your career compared to mm-hmm. like the finesse, the finesse players of the finesse style of centre backs that we have now. That they don't. That their team have 60s high 60s to 70 percent of the ball, so they don't really see the battles versus the old school type yeah. of strikers. Mm-hmm. And especially with now the way football has. Um, Develop, has evolved 
the goal scorers you're seeing aren't the big physical strikers that are going to battle you for 90 minutes. They're more of the quick, the quick strikers that they, they attack space instead of attacking the yeah. man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that wraps up the first part of the podcast. Remember, you're listening to the Off the Top podcast. I'm your host, Chukudi. We have Micah Fanimo right now. We'll be back with part two shortly. Welcome back to the Off the Top podcast. Remember, you're listening to Chukudi with Micah Fanimo on the line while talking about scouting right now. Mm-hmm. When we talked about defenders, we, mo- we mainly talked about centre-backs, so we're just going to talk about full-backs right now, and just in general. Where do you stand on this line of attacking versus defending full-backs in general? Okay, so I was having a conversation with um, with uh, Guy, the head of scouting at Soccer Analysis, and what he said was that he understands my premise where, like, a full-back... I feel like the priority is to defend. Mm-hmm. But he said there's more of a premium on defenders who are better with on-ball actions than off-the-ball actions. So he said yeah. on-ball actions in relation is to how they are in possession, how they can affect the game, whether it's in the defensive, middle, or final third. And obviously the way he put it to me, saying on-ball versus off-ball, I really understood it, especially like a lot of these things that we talk about today and aid, we have to understand it's because of how football is today. You understand what I'm saying? So if you look at the fullbacks yeah. who are very good on the ball, with on the ball actions, you've got the likes of your Joshua Kimmich, you've got Marcelo, you've got Trent, you've got Robinson, even though he's good off the ball as well. But Alexandro. Alexandro, if you've got a lot of these players who provide a lot of impact on the ball in helping the game build up, providing options, assisting or creating chances in half spaces that they can do from a fullback position, you can understand why there is a need for them or a more is a higher premium placed on these kind of players, which is understandable. Me personally, like I say, this is a personal preference. I believe as a fullback, your number one job is to defend. I'm not yeah. asking you to do anything exceptional you know, in the attacking third. I'm not asking you to do anything. If you can do something exceptional, then it's a, it's, it's a, it's a bonus. You know, mm-hmm. it's a bonus. I believe that a fullback should be able to lock down his wing while, pres- while um, promoting something going forward. So we look at the peak years of Daniel Alves. Obviously, later towards down his career, Barcelona was so ball dominant, he didn't even need to focus on, you know, off the ball action such as defending you know, the team had the ball all the time, so his on-the-ball actions clearly outshined, you know, his off-the-ball actions. But, you know, sometimes when you play against a team who is equal, if not su- if not um, a little bit superior to you, your off-the-ball actions will always be shown, you know, coming to quick. So I still believe that, you know, a, pri- uh, a prime, the best thing for a defender to do in this day and age is know how to, you know, lock up his his position, whether left back or right back. And when I'm saying lock up, I don't mean, you know, it's not, you know, you're always going to have a winger who might, you know, trouble you because mm-hmm. of the pace. And a, but to be able to nullify that threat to a particular degree so that you can help yourself. Now, l- let me give you an example. Let's say you've got a fullback who wins the ball back consistently. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not even using Wan-Bissaka. Let's just say, like, I have a fullback who's able to win the ball consistently. Mm-hmm. What that helps is that the winger, whether you're playing a 4-3-3, 4-5-1, 4-2-3-1, they don't necessarily have to come back as much to help. That means that their attacking positions can be further up the field. And yeah. that helps in generating play. That's what people don't see. Normally, they just think, oh, we want a fullback. If you have a winger who is picking the ball up all the time uh, past his own halfway line, mm-hmm. how much damage do you think that they can cause that other opposition fullback who is spending more than enough time trying to have to defend against this guy who is constantly just running, running, trying to beat him all the time? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what people yeah. don't understand. The, the emphasis is on what, yes, if you have a fullback like, like Trent who can create, um, you know, a lot of, you know, chances, who's a good, you know, who's a great player to have, especially yeah. when he's on a dominant team. You can have that. But I just feel like if you have a fullback who knows how to defend first and foremost, it helps the team. And then if they can add a, an attacking aspect to their game, they have more than enough time to to do that they can get to that particular level defend mm. first per your position and then everything else comes into the game like, there's nothing wrong with having you know a fullback who is great at attacking first if that's their priority that's fine each to their own do you get mm. what i'm saying but me yeah. personally i'd rather have a defender who is a, a fullback who knows how to lock up his position first especially and that helps like if they have a winger not have to, you know, track back to, you know, you know, all the way back. Like an example is when um, who did Chelsea play on the wing when they had Ashley Cole at left back? I cannot even remember. But even like when Ashley Cole was playing for Arsenal and had him at left back, Pires wasn't coming all the way deep. Yeah, Pires was picking up the ball, you know, you know, like 10, 10, 15 yards in his own half. You know, he didn't have to travel all the way back because he had a full back who he knew could stop anything coming down that wing. And that helps progress overall team play. You know, but I, I like how I just say it's just each to their own. But that's potent, that's what I would look at when I'm looking into, you know, into fullback. Okay. And I guess it also depends on, like, what type of team you are. What, like, how much, how much are you able to retain possession? Because if you retain possession, you're obviously going to be more you're obviously going to need someone that's going to help you more in attack to keep that possession. And if you're a team that doesn't retain that as much possession, you're going to need someone that's going to help you need you to win possession back when you lose it. So mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's more about what style of team you are and what that... So I guess I, guess I understand what you mean. Personally, I, I feel that I, I used to be on the side of I don't care how bad you are defensively, just go and attack, like, let's just attack. But then the more, um, the more, like, I thought about it and the more, like, football has evolved, I, I started to think about, okay, it's everything in football is about balance. And you have to be able to mm-hmm. balance. You have to be able to balance if you're going to win. You can't just be one way, one way, one way, all the way. Because, like, if you more, as more as, as much as you give that one way, you're giving back, you're giving it back to the other team the other way back so i guess you just need to find the right balance in it being able to defend if you're able to defend still be able to give something attacking and if you're able to attack still be competent enough to defend when when asked you don't need to be locked down not everybody needs to be locked down but you don't need to be a 
a calamity going in the other direction is what I guess I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, moving on to midfielders. This is... When I was thinking about this, it was... I didn't know the way to put it because it's just so broad in, like, the definition. You can be an attacking midfielder and you can be a defensive midfielder. You could also just be, like, a box-to-box. You could be a... You could be a deep line midfielder. You could be a destroying midfielder. Like, there's so much to talk about. So, I'm just going to lump, lump it up. I don't care. I'm going to just lump it up into defending and attacking, no matter way. Let's start with a defensive midfielder. What do you look for when you look at defensive midfielders in general? We need a pullback. Yes. Uh, why did you say that? I'll just start taking a deep breath. Oh, I don't get anywhere. Um, winning the ball back. Winning the ball back. Winning oh, yeah. the ball back is is listen. It's 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 a priority. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, winning the ball back. Listen, every, some of the best defensive midfielders. What were they known for? Being able to win the ball back. If you can, even Busquets that everybody loves about his, his passing, his positioning. How many times has he won the ball back? People don't understand. He wins the ball back a lot. Wins the ball back, recycles, starts play again from that position. You understand? Mm-hmm. That is very, a great ball winner. You know, people emphasize on the fact that he played for the passing three, you know, um, he played in a passing midfield. Barcelona, at their very best, were known for winning the ball back. High press. Pressing getting the ball back. They, people just think like the ball just rolled over in Barcelona's lap. That wasn't the truth. They had to win the ball back. And at their best, especially um, between um, 08-09 to 10-11, Barcelona were pressing the best teams that we had to face. Press Arsenal, press United, press, you know, they might misplace a pass, press it, get the ball back immediately. You understand what I'm saying? So a, de- mm. a defensive midfielder in relation to pressing, knowing how to win the ball back, in key areas. Now, it's it's more about the protection that they can provide to the back four, you know, back five. Back four. I don't like anybody there who is a bit too flamboyant for my liking. No. Even Real Madrid at their best, they were at their best when they had the DM like Casemiro, who isn't that, who's not flamboyant. Straight ball winner. Yeah. Defensive midfield, you don't necessarily have to be rugged. You can be a clean ball winner. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That is mm-hmm, per mm-hmm. position. The emphasis on, like I said, every position now, the emphasis on passing is just because of how football has evolved today. So, yes, passing will always come into it. But, yeah, definitely. It's right. protecting the back for defending. Yeah. It's, it's always so, like having another defender. Okay. And then, moving on to the other side of the coin, attacking midfielders. We all, like, we know we have... Um, there's the central attacking midfielder, midfielder the, like cams, but like cams are being uh, beginning to like fade more and more away from like football. Less teams are starting are uh, are using like the traditional cent, um, central attacking midfielders, the Ozils, the Ericsons, those type. You're seeing more and more of like just midfielders that are in charge of like attacking. You have like the Modric's, the Pogba's, the Kevin De Bruyne's to like a certain. So you you see like um, Pep Guardiola, he plays, he doesn't care. He plays David Silva, he plays Bernardo Silva, he plays KDB in midfield and they're in charge of attacking. 
what do you mm-hmm. look for when you see when you're looking at like those sort of players attacking midfielders in general? Okay, so attacking midfielders a lot now. Um, the reason why a lot of them have been almost converted to midfielders is because of they they want to be seen as a luxury or a liability. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? When I'm looking like Ozil, Ozil to me, even though you know I'm the biggest KDB fan, you know that yeah. you could find about Ozil is still. You know, probably the, one of the greatest attacking midfield talents that I've ever seen. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? The, the problem with Urzu is that too too long has gone by where he can't impose his will on the game, and that makes you a liability. If I yeah. say, what do I want from an attacking midfielder? Urzu is the one um, being able to pick up passes, um, pick out players in the space, in the half space, good crossing delivery. Mm, actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give. I would say Ozil at the bare minimum. I would say the best example is um, somebody like um, Kaka in a way, because I always like the ability um, for attacking midfielders to have the match-winning ability as well, so that they can score quite a few goals. It relieves stress if they're playing for um, play, playing, you know, behind a striker, that kind of thing. But especially like how you work in the space, the 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 link-up play that you have, you know, the overall vision that you have on the pitch, and. Mm-hmm. How often can you impose your will on the pitch in relation to the fact that the other team doesn't single you out as a liability? Now, the thing about attacking midfielders this day and age is that a lot of them are not as consistent enough to impose their will, which is why they've been put in a more midfield position or they've been dropped completely for another more hardworking midfielder and, mm-hmm. or pushed towards the wings so that they can be more expressive there. Like, stay on the side don't want you to affect what's going on in the middle mm. understand what i'm saying so yeah. you look at um some of the like you look at putino now you know all of these players yes as much as we slander them they're, they're still great players great yeah. technical ability the issue is that they do not enforce their will on the game consistently in order for them to not be seen as a liability i look at when Ozil first came into the premier league oh that's amazing impact but as time went on his ability to influence a game consistently was coming was becoming detrimental to the team. So yeah. now you're faced with a question whereby you're looking at, do I do I play him? Yes, I know the difference he can make. Because mm-hmm. even if Arsenal play Ozil right now, we know the difference he can make. Yeah. The question is, like, is that like he's he still he's still he's still a great a great player. Yeah, like yeah, yeah like. No one is no one is questioning like ability when it comes to these these sort of players. It's all about the impact they have on like the game. It like right now on the game that you're playing in this very second. That's what I guess what's the problem with Ozil is. Yeah. I and then lastly we're moving to attackers. I'm going to split this one up into wingers and like and strikers. Starting with wingers. What's okay. your yeah. If I asked you to describe your perfect winger, what would the attributes be? Okay, perfect wing, perfect attributes. One v one ability, uh, most definitely. Um, if you have one v one ability, I don't think the need for you to score is as prominent because mm-hmm. what I believe in is that if you can beat your opposition fullback. You know, or beat who you have facing in front of you in the half space. You're always going to have the ability to, you know, put you know passes crosses into the box where you have a striker who 
who can, you know, attack that. I believe, you know, the priority for a winger is how much can you trouble the opposition fullback? 1v1 ability and then off-the-ball movement. Those are the two things. Ideally, you can put off-the-ball movement one above the other, but however, mm-hmm. off-the-ball movement takes into consideration more than one factor. It takes yeah. into consideration you moving into that space and then somebody being able to pass the ball yeah. into that space for you. Mm-hmm, so how mm-hmm. many times have we seen, you know, an off-the-ball, somebody who runs, you know, beautifully off the ball and in the midfielder can't find them? Yeah, and most, and yeah, means, and most well, times you don't even you like it's not easy for you to see those type of things because if the midfielder doesn't make the pass, you don't even notice that that player has made the run. Most exactly, most exactly. So that factors in on another player's you know performance or their ability to like let's say for a, um, a normal midfielder, their ability to you know you said um, we talked about defensive midfielders. Attacking midfielders, you could say that now the normal just central midfielders, the ability mm-hmm. to see that pass. If they can't see that pass and they can't play mm-hmm. that pass, your mm-hmm. movement is in vain. As much as much option as you can, you know, unless you know you make a movement and then they pass it to the opposite side of the pitch where you drag defenders with you, that's all going to be in vain. So, if not off the ball movement, which I will call one B, one A is definitely a one V one ability because that that depends on you as an individual. You're not depending on anybody else. If you receive the ball, you can receive the ball from a goal kick, from a, um, a deflected pass. You can receive it from the fullback. There's so many different ways you can receive a ball. Now, if you turn and face the ball, whether it's in the half space or whatever you want to do, can you beat that person who is in front of you? Because what happens is that when you beat that player who's in front of you, play now follows you. So let's say mm. you skip past the player. Everybody's now rushing you know, backwards yeah. because they yeah. want to anticipate what you're going to do, whether you want to come and cut in, whether you want to go out wide and put a cross in. That now all depends solely on you and, you know, what you want to do because of your 1v1 ability. A lot of players, sometimes they don't have that 1v1 ability. You know, they can't run into space. They like the ball to feet, which is one of the reasons why I had a big problem with Martial. But the fact that he has great dribbling ability when he takes yeah. the ball into feet, he's still able to affect the game. If his 1v1 ability wasn't good, in relation to how the fact that he's off the ball movement isn't the greatest. It's horrible. It be, yeah, it, you're, not looking like a, you're not looking at a good player. You know, you've got some players mm. like you know, Douglas Costa, who has a woeful end product. But do you know that Douglas Costa always is a danger when you're going up against him? Mm-hmm. End product, he's crossing, not good, doesn't score that amount of goals. But for the fact that he can consistently beat his fullback. Yeah. And the thing so and the thing problem. about the thing about being able to beat your fullback in one v one, as you say, it mm-hmm. it automatically takes one of the defenders out of the game because you've beat him immediately. And then it draws another defender towards you because if if you beat one, one has to come to try to stop you. And that just mm-hmm. frees up space in the box because if you beat one, one is out, another defender comes towards you. Meaning that defender has to come from somewhere and it's probably coming from inside the box. So that way it frees up space for the for your other players to attack. No matter mm-hmm. what, being able to beat your defender does so much more for like just the attacking freedom and the space your other players have in the box to operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, we have strikers. And then this is always a personal preference for different people. Some people pick their strikers depending on how they want to play. What is your 
personal preference for like a striker in a way. Okay, personal preference, off the ball movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's a personal preference, off the yeah. ball movement and just your ability to finish. Those those are the primary th- your your ability to finish. I'm not saying that you have to score from forty. 35 yards, all of those are just, you know, additional. If I could pick a striker, I want you to have the movement and I want you to be able to finish. Like, you know, not everybody's going to, you know, you know, just being able to finish. And also, if possible, especially for attacking midfielders, just to go previous, like we got attacking midfielders, wingers, strikers, the ability to use both feet. Mm, interesting. Comfortably. If you can use both feet comfortably, you're not going to be found in a position whereby you have to follow, you have to go one way. You can change the course of play just by mm-hmm. using your eyes because of the fact that you can use two feet. You're not stuck to, you know, your passing lanes, the, the, the position that you are to affect the game isn't stuck to just the one leg that you can use. You understand what I'm saying? So for a striker, definitely it's the off the ball, it's off the ball movement and your ability to finish. That would be... You know, everything else, I just think it's, I don't know, I wouldn't really want my striker to, how could I say, you know, bring yeah. other players into play. And that I'm not that, not that, that also, this also depends on how your team is set up. Your team can be set up in a way that that's what you want to do. But like I said, personal preference for me, everybody else mm-hmm. is different. Like my way is not, but off the ball movement and the ability to finish unrivaled for me. Yeah, because like, Obviously, you said it, like, link-up play is something a lot of people look at when they're trying to judge a striker. We're not saying, like, I'm not saying that your first touch has to be, like, the best, but your first touch can't just end the whole... Because, like, the most important thing in football, to me, for an attacking side is being able to keep possession in the final third. It's, like, the most of overlooked thing when it comes to teams like Man City and teams like Liverpool and Barcelona and, like, dominant teams. They keep the ball in the final third. It's all well and good if you're keeping the ball between your centre-backs and your goalkeeper, but you're not affecting the game that way. The only way, to, the best way to affect the game is if you're able to keep the ball in the final third of the pitch and make the other team defend. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's only possible if your striker is able to, you know, at least not, if you pass the ball to him, not lose it immediately with his first touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... That wraps up our whole scouting. No, well, that doesn't wrap up our scouting, part, but that wraps up <laughs> our our part of what you look for in like a player. This player. is just these, yeah. yeah. These are just some other questions. Um, what would you say is your best? I wrote down scouting success. I what I mean is a player you saw from like a youngish age. I'll say like seventeen, eighteen, and you knew this player was going to be a player immediately. You watched him, and then he's now. 25, 26, 23, whatever, and he's one of the emerging or he's one of the better players in wherever he plays right now. What would you say is your highest? You can give a couple if you have a couple. Okay, so um, I don't really like talking about my brother much, um, but uh, definitely Sterling. Sterling is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I remember watching him at 13, 14 years old when he was playing Victory Shield. Uh, when he was playing Victory Shield, he was a year younger than my brother's age group. So basically, mm-hmm. my brother was a year younger than his age group when he first played Victory Shield. So he played with um, um, Ben and, um, I don't know how many people know who Benicophobia is, but there, yeah. Yeah, she so, used to but, like... Um, yeah, so I think my brother got called up the following year. So obviously mm-hmm. he played for that year, but then when it was his year, 
his year was him, um, Shalabar. Mm-hmm. So I had Mathias, Shalabar. I think there was Rob Hall, Blair Turger, um, Nathan Redmond. Mm-hmm. Um, just a just a couple of players, but what happened was that Sterling was now called up to his group, if that makes sense. It's because they yeah. knew how good Sterling was when he was playing for, so they called up to him to my brother's group. And I remember yeah. watching Sterling play against. They played against Scotland, and I think Scotland had um, they had this Chelsea striker as well called. Um, uh, I can't remember. It's not. It's not. Uh, you know, Chelsea. Chelsea's got age group. Uh, Islam Farouz. That's yeah. Islam Farouz. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I remember seeing Islam Farouz. I was just like, wow, this kid is amazing. And then when I saw Sterling, and obviously because Sterling, my, my brother, were good friends. Then you know, playing. Mm-hmm. And I said, I remember I, was t- I, I, I tapped my uncle and I said, this guy is quality. I said Sterling is going to be an absolute world beater. I said, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, where. So, definitely him. And obviously, Sterling is 24 now, and it's turned out wonderfully for him. Yeah. Um, always a big fan of um, Griezmann as well. Um, mm-hmm. When I was watching Griezmann, uh, a lot of some of these players I didn't catch when they were 18. I think they were just like early 20s. So, when Griezmann was at Sociedad 13 14 season, or 12 13, 13 14 season, I said, mm-hmm. Dude, this guy is really good. He's going to become something absolutely special. Um, Paul Pogba, I think that was easy for you know a lot of people to see. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't really you know you know claim you know claim the breaks to that. Um, yeah. De Bruyne, I thought De Bruyne was absolutely amazing. Um, so seeing him like uh, you know remember he went through a stage stage in his early twenties where I don't think people really thought he, he was going to be the player that he is now, especially yeah. when Chelsea sold him to Wolfsburg, you know for the eighty million, and then obviously from there his trajectory is just absolutely gone all the way up so it's a yeah. big thing you know seeing you know seeing how he um he's turned out to be um i can't think of you know you know pogba dibala i saw dibala at 19 1920 when he played for palermo so i always thought when i saw him he was going to be definitely um definitely going to be an amazing player there was no and that's who like normally who their football twitter is normally based around is the love mm-hmm. that i have for de bruyne and yeah. pogba and Paulo Dybala. So those three definitely went to their careers. Um, you know, I add um, Sterling to that. And I think I think there's I think there's some more that I can't really just uh, you know remember off the I would say the absolute top of my head. Um, but yeah, I mean some now I'm still following like Saul. You know, always for you know him um, or Yafebao like him as well. Um, really coming to prominence, Lozano. You know, when he was in Mexico, you know, uh-huh. I, I thought, yeah, this guy is going to be absolutely amazing. And, you know, it's just seeing, you know, they might not be amazing like world beaters, but for the position that they are and for the position where they were coming from and then where they are now, you can see that growth, you know, coming out of, you wouldn't say like non-league, but coming from like a, a league which didn't have that much recognition and then making it into like one of um, some of the big leagues, you know, in Europe. So that's what my, that could be my definition of them, you know, making it. Not necessarily the, not necessarily them, you know, you know, winning Ballon d'Or yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody's career is different. Mm-hmm. I just like, I just have like two people. I'm just going to blow my horn for like two people right now. I saw um, v- um, Van Dyke play for Celtic in the most random yeah. 
the most random um, Scottish League match one day on like TV. I don't even know why I was there. And Im- I immediately knew, yep, this guy is going to be good. Like, this guy is good and he's going to be good. And when he was out, Southampton and Liverpool wanted to buy him for the first time they came for him, that Southampton, whatever, like, the, you know the whole story of like them trying to sign him. And people were questioning like the fee as to why Liverpool wanted to I was like, don't you watch, like, don't you watch him play? It was like the most easy thing to see for me that he was one of, he was going to become one of the best center backs in the world. And you hoped, and I'm just thankful that it, it worked yeah. out because mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty, I, like, I was pretty, like, I, I was pretty loud in the way I was saying Van Dyke, Van Dyke, Van Dyke, Van Dyke, and hopefully, and then Harry Kane, I saw Harry Kane play once for, um, Spurs on that 21, I think it was, this was before he went on loan, and then he went on loan to a team I can't remember off my head, and Mm. I knew, I knew that he was going to, that he was good, and then obviously we know what happened with him in Europa League, playing just Europa League matches to start his career, and every single Europa League match, he was banging in goals before he even became a first team starter, at that time, Adebayo was still starting for, for Spurs under, um, Tim Sherwood of Yasboas can't remember exactly who. Um, then those are just my two. I'm not really like I have players that I love. Like I loved Pulisic before, like it was really a thing for Dortmund. And like I I loved a bunch of players, but like none of them have become as big as Van Dyke and Kane okay. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then lastly for this section of right what are players that people should be looking out for? You already mentioned some. You mentioned Lozano, who just got his move to Napoli. Yeah. You obviously, you love Tillemans, that is that started the season on fire with Leicester in general. But who are the other players, the younger players? Um, you said Oyarbazal, that is that real Sociedad right now. He was rumored to be going to Manchester City, but like, oh, obviously... I really wanted, I really, <laughs> I really wanted that to yeah. happen. That would have fulfilled yeah. me a lot, but unfortunately, it didn't. Um. <laughs> Who would I who would I say now that I've seen that I really think you know okay well I mean it's pretty obvious um Chiesa definitely yeah Chiesa um, from um, um uh, Florentina yeah Florentina absolutely absolutely wonderful wonderful like that, probably one of the one of the better players that I'm looking out for um in relation to succeeding um I think people already know about Akanji I only put whiff of him. If not the end late last season, just the beginning of this season as well. But I think he's like already, you know, I'm not sure how old he is, maybe like 23, 24. So he's pretty much um and pretty much um established in that mm-hmm. regard. But definitely um uh, Martin Odegaard, really good. Like all of these most of these people, like people probably know them, but I don't know how much they're following them because they didn't um explode, I would say, when they were supposed to. But people mm-hmm. forget like Odegaard was only 16 when well, Real Madrid um, paid for him. He's only mm-hmm. about 19, 20 now. So, you know, he's still, you know, really, really young. Um, I don't know how um, Ojo Zolo is doing. Um, I think he's at Real Madrid now. I'm not too sure if he's getting any game time over um, Carvajal right now. But uh, definitely, if I'm putting my eyes on anything, um, a lot of um, Chiesa, um, Paqueta, the one that plays for AC Milan, mm-hmm. uh, most definitely. And then there is one more player in Serie A. Serie A have quite a, <laughs> quite a few 
um, upcoming upcoming talents, I would say. But I can't remember the team he exactly plays for. There's one that plays for Udinese, who's like a midfielder. He's um, Croatian. He reminds me so much of Modric. He's very highly rated. Very good. Um, Andrija Balik. I don't know, like, like he's so good, really. Oh, look, I don't, even, I don't even think he plays anymore. I think he, is he even on loan? Twenty-two years old. He moved from Udinese. Oh no, he's on loan actually. He's on loan to the thirtieth of no, actually, hold on. Yeah, he went on loan to Perugia. Um, mm-hmm. But he's going back. He's going back to um, Udinese once his loan finishes. Yeah, he's, he's alone super- until the end of June next year. Yeah, I think he's a superb player. Like, honestly, I'm really comfortable with, you know, actually one of the one, one of the top midfielders that I've definitely seen. Obviously, you've already mentioned players like Telemans, you know, who is, um, you know, yeah, going to be, you know, up there. So the rest of them are pretty, I would say, pretty self-explanatory. It's for self-explanatory. If I find any more, I'll be sure to, you know, at you when I see them. Yeah, and then obviously we have guys like Abubakar Kamara that is at um, Marseille right now, the defender. He's a centre-back. It looks to be short, so he, mm. he also plays midfield sometimes. And then they have Q-Sans that just went to um, Bayern Munich, kind of hurt. Mm. And lastly, Barella that joined Inter Milan, such a baller. Like, oh, like, oh, like those guys from like the... Um, was it the Euros that they, they just played, the under-21 Euros, under-23 Euros that they just played? On that Italy team was so good. They had... Um, they had Moise King. the one that plays for... He played, didn't he start for Italy? Yeah, he started for Italy in the Euros that just went... Yeah, yeah. And then they had, they had obviously... Um, what's the name of the winger? I don't know where it's... The one you mentioned, they had, they had Moise King, they um, had... Chiesa... Yeah, they had kids. Um, like, their, yeah, their team was dope. And then, that's just like, those are the people you should be looking out for. They are going to become world beaters. Yeah. 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 I, well, as we're rounding up, we're just going to have some quick roundups. We have just an international break roundup. Yesterday was Germany versus Netherlands. And I know you watched the game. I also watched the game. I just wanted to talk because, like, Netherlands are having a mini, I'll call it like a mini revival. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. it all started with like they had the what's this stupid competition called that England came third in. Um, UEFA Nations. Yeah, the nations, the the Nations League. They were um, yeah. Netherlands. Netherlands were were also part of the teams that did well. Obviously, now they beat Germany, a German team that was that had that had a lot of youngish to like experienced players. It was a pretty good German team, and yeah, yeah Netherlands beat them. They have players coming through like Frankie De Jong, Van Dijk, De Ligt. They had they have experienced players too. They um, Babel still plays for the team. Surprisingly, Memphis Depay was a star yesterday. They have Quincy Promise. They just have great players, and that like the ages are so balanced in that squad. So people should watch out for Netherlands going forward. And then when it comes to England, obviously they they just their match. Literally just finished. We were recording as the match was going on. They, they it ended 4-0 with Kane bagging a hat trick, two penalties and a tap in, and then Sterling mm-hmm. also getting getting a goal. Um, France are playing today. We'll see what happens with that. 
what do you think about the whole because i was listening to like uh one of the podcasts you did i think it was the last one you did and you were talking about like the english squad and like the age makeup of the whole english setup i was see if you want to hear about what he thinks go there and listen to that podcast is the um sock analysis podcast you can find it on spotify and everywhere i'm sure there'll be a link to it in this podcast too but like what do you think about the english squad in general just in general as the whole english setup the future and right now um i feel like it's one of the best it's been um in a long time in relation to quality to... okay when i mean best it's been in a long time i don't mean in relation to just starting 11 i think yeah. they have some players who potentially can go on to have real superstar quality mm-hmm. before they you could say that you know quality but there were not many players that you thought wow if this boy fulfills his potential he could get into any team in the world right now they have like a bunch of them they've got um what's his name which is kane kane like starts to like many clubs they've got they've got sterling they've got sancho they've got you know Mad- madison they've got um what's it foden uh, you know, they have both. They have both. They have both Trent and Wabisaka. Trent, Trent Wabisaka. They have Trent Wabisaka. They have Reese James coming up. They've got um um. They have um, um Reese Nelson. Uh, we have Reese Nelson. Inketia. They have Mason Greenwood. They have so like they just have so much talent coming through and like in the squad at this very like it's kind of I I I was thinking about this the other day the way like um football comes in like batches like you obviously you had like the whole spain dominance like where spain were dominating both in like young and old they had like their whole thing then there was the whole germany dominance in football france Mm -hmm. in like a period obviously they won the world cup and we Mm -hmm. have to give it to them they have like a period even before that italy had a period all the way back then where Mm -hmm. like where like they had their own I think England's time isn't right now, but it's coming mm. in the near future. It could start as early as the Euros next year, for all we know. Mm, I still feel the Euros a bit, but if you notice, one thing about you said about all of those teams that you mentioned, they had a couple of those players who were almost elite per their position, which is why I feel France would be dominant for a long time. You know, you look at, you said the Spain squad. Spain still produce quality players. You know that. You yeah. know, they've got Saul, they still got... But... Some of their players are not on the top end per, per position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? You look at the Germany. Germany, that the players that they're producing now are no longer at the top. They're, they could still be, you know, group consensus mm-hmm. is very good per their position, but they're no longer at the top end. You've got Germany. Yeah. You've got Spain. You know, throw back to um, that Italy side where they had like mm-hmm. Totti, Perlo, Buffon, Del Piero, they were just Cannavaro, just everybody, just <laughs> um, Cameronese, Zanetti, Zanetti, all of the per position, they were at the top. And, and I think that's what people need to understand the difference between being a good country and a great country when you're challenging at the international level is how dominant are your players per position. We can go back to France now of last year, you know, you have Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann, Kante, um, Varane, those are players who are on the upper echelons of their position. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And especially mm-hmm. running through, you know, like key, you know, points in the team. Yes, they still could feel the likes of, you know, Sissoko because at the end of the day, it's still like, you know, it's still a mm-hmm. team. You yeah. What I'm saying? It's still a function. It's still a team. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you look at like um, Belgium, 
Belgium have had good players, yeah. Um, you got like Hazard, De Bruyne, but apart from Hazard and De Bruyne, you know, company was always injured, so they never saw the best of him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, injured. You know, then Lukaku. I wouldn't say is the top end of it. So yeah, they had some they didn't have everything, you know, or or a strong enough group to carry them all the way. Which is why, yes, they could have got far. You know, Belgium finished third at the World Cup. You know, um, they finished. Uh, you know, they had a respectable position at the last Euros, you know, 2016, where they came. I think they, they only lost to Wales, but they can, it's, it's enough to, for them to get a run, but mm-hmm. not quite enough. But not go all the go, way. Go all the way. So, England, I'm looking now. Yes, they've got quality players, but they haven't got every, you know, some of the midfielders, you know, I don't think are quite it yet. You know, they've got Barkley, Henderson. I'm not saying these players are not good. They are very good. You understand what I'm saying? But they're not the at the top end of that position. So if they come against a team which has a superior midfield, they can be overrun, you know, they could be outran, you know, and, you know, that's how I feel that England, like, like you said, I feel that time is coming. I think this Euros next year is a bit too early for them. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? But I I feel still France, um, still France, I, I still have as the, uh, as the perennial favourites in relation to that. But, um, yeah, it's in a good place. It's in, a, it's, it's in one of the best places it's been in a long time. That's okay. What I'll say. okay, and finally, we're going to end with the Premier League roundup. What, like, who are the teams and the players that have impressed you the most in the Premier League? We've obviously had four games to start the Premier League. Liverpool are unbeaten. Manchester City are right behind them right now. And then they, they have teams like Leicester doing well. Obviously, we we can't start without talking about the news of Watford. They they just fired um Javi Garcia. They brought back Kike Sanchez Flores back. I think he had a season with the club or two seasons with the club before. Mm. They got Marco Silva. I think was this like Watford? I seem that are not afraid to sack their manager in general. Mm. They like they do it as frequently as any team in the Premier League. Yeah, in the modern Premier League, at least they sack their manager without even, and they always seem to have the replacement lined up. Immediately, they sack their manager. In general, mm. what do you, what 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 are your thoughts on like the hope of the Premier League season right now? I think it's a I think it's a really good Premier League season. Um, I'm, we're seeing a lot of goals. We're seeing a lot of expressive forwards. Um, I do feel like the gap between the top two and the bottom. It might not shrink due to um, them being worse, but you know mm-hmm. some of the middle teams in the Premier League are better. So yeah. you know, going away to Leicester, you know, might not be as easy. But saying that, City still beat West Ham five 0 away from home. I was really shocked about that. I thought that game would be much tougher. So I feel mm-hmm. like um, the games that have happened in the Premier League. I still feel like a lot of the, the teams have gotten. I just said previously, it's not because of some of the teams getting weaker. I don't mm-hmm. think they've gotten weaker per se, but you know, City are dealing with injuries. I don't think Liverpool have found their full flow yet. Defensively, they yeah. seem very fragile, and they're dealing with injuries as well. There's no Allison. Understand what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. the injuries have made them look a little bit of a, a little as bit functioning. Yeah. yeah, not as not as functioning as they would like. I don't think they're worse off, but obviously mm-hmm. when you don't have your strong eleven. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to suffer a bit for them. So I still think they're as good as the teams that they were last season. They're just dealing with a lot of injury. You know, you can look at Liverpool now. Alisson, no, they got Adrian in, but you could see so much. 
the difference is yeah. so alarming. Like, mm-hmm, as soon as mm-hmm. the ball comes over them, you know, there's a scramble everywhere. You know, um, I feel that, um, like I said, the middle teams get better. Arsenal looking like a strong side. Hopefully, United can find some, you know, some form going in. You know, they have some, you have a, I wouldn't say difficult, but they have like, you know, they've got a stretch of games coming up the next five, yeah. which could see, you know, which could, you know, make or break their season. Very comfortable with how Leicester have performed, you know, going forward. And I feel like it's going to be a really good Premier League campaign. I, I, I feel like this season we're going to see like somebody scoring over, 30, um, scoring up to or over 30 goals. I think last season yeah. was a bit hit and miss because I think the top score was only 22 goals, uh, which was uh, on a low-scoring season, which was dominated a lot by wide players. You know, maybe mm. because um, Aguero, Aguero only got 21, but, you know, he was, you know, he fluctuated in and out of some games. And Babiag obviously started games on the left or coming off the bench. Kane was injured a lot for the season. So, like, the big boy strikers in the league, you know, they didn't have their... We didn't experience their normal, you know, high output, which I think that we will see this season. It'll be a really good Premier League season. Um, I think it will probably go down to the wire again. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably between Man City and um, Liverpool. Um, probably go down to the wire. That's what I potentially think with um, City being event- eventual champions because I do think that what they have over Liverpool is great depth. I do feel that you know, Liverpool might have to deal with some injuries this season because their game schedule is really high. You know, they've had to play... Mane and Salah haven't really had that rest. You know, they've had to play uh, Community Shield, UEFA Super Cup, they play the Premier League, they play the uh, World Club Cup in December. Yeah, the Club World Cup is coming in Club soon. World Cup. They're going to come back and be playing catch-up games. I think... And then in the Champions League as well, they'll go for I think it'll just be a bit too much for them this season with the depth that they have but overall I feel like it's a good Premier League campaign in relation to what you said to Watford I'm surprised they sacked him so early but at the end of the day no, no team wants to be you know sat in a relegation Premier League yeah. offers a lot of money if you if you get sacked you know if, they, if you're languid and they probably looked at it as like it's not like they were losing and you know it's almost like they won you know some mm-hmm. of the games that they lost you know they you know, of course, because for concern, four games in, so they may believe fair enough sample size. And then also, you need to think about the fact that they lost so heavily to uh, Manchester City in the League Cup final. The way they ended the season was a bit. Mm, yeah, they, they've only won weak. one game. I think they won one game from like I think it was April second up till now. Yeah, only... so it, it's a it's a normally these things are like a, people need to see the backstory as well. It would be mm-hmm. a combination of what happened to the team towards the end of the if they won a couple games towards the end of the season and they just got off to a bad start I think more time would have been given but um, they probably looked at the last 10 to 12 games including the fact that they lost so heavily to Manchester City in the FA Cup final and they probably come to the conclusion that you know you might have lost your way or the team's not responding to you what do you do early in the season four games in get somebody in and you know they only won win away you know, and then, and then the season yeah. starts going, but it's better to get mm-hmm. that in now than wait yeah. until you know later in the season. Oh, okay, well, I guess that's all we have to talk about for today. Thank you for coming on. But before we're done, we have some NFL stuff that I just want to go through quickly. Definitely. Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown has been released from the Raiders for being a madman. That's all. Like some of the stuff he's done, like he fought with the general manager he 
cursed him out. He, apparently, he apologized yesterday, and then they fined him for doing everything he did, and he thought that his apology was enough not to get fined. Like, come on. Also, Julio Jones got an extension, three years, 66 million, with 64 million guaranteed. Up front. I heard so it's like, up front. Yeah, like, possible? Like, yeah, like, so the way it does that, the way the NFL does their contract is you get like, so you have a sum that you have a guaranteed amount. They have an amount that's like a signing bonus. So they give you that yeah. money signing the contract. So basically his contract is 66 million over three years. And then he has 64 of it as like a signing bonus, basically. So I like, so how can I, like 64 million up front. Yeah, so my real question is, does he need to like go into the office on Monday to collect the check, or like is it going to be in his act? Like, is it a wire transfer? Like, how does one collect sixty-four million? Like, what? <laughs> it's that so is cr- it's crazy. You know what? You know what? He's what? unproblematic. He's yeah, one of the best, yeah. One of the best wide outs. He's been a great servant. He made no mm-hmm. noise about his contract. He just come to work, and yeah. I think it's like, just a reward for you know. I think it's like a reward based off of what he has done, uh, mm-hmm. potentially what he could be. I mean, how old is um, um, uh, Julio Jones right now? I'd say I'll guess twenty-eight, but like yeah, late. So obviously, it's still possible. He's thirty. He's re- thirty years old. Yeah, he's thirty. So obviously, I think it's more of a reward. Yeah, like, and like, he's still one of the best. He still has his speed. He's still freaking tall. Like he still yeah. has everything going for him. Like, and then. Obviously, the Antonio Brown situation has to help him in this area because, like, you look on the other side of the league and you see someone acting crazy, and then you look in your own building and you see someone like the calmest way ever. Wide receiver, yeah. yeah. And you just think there's no way we can reward him. Like, look at what we could mm-hmm. have been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we'll obviously have a podcast up on Monday or t- on Tuesday talking about it when we do like our week one review. But I would love to. to listen. I can't wait to listen yeah. to that NFL yeah. one. Like, he, yeah. he's crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> oh. yeah. Thank you, Micah, for coming on. Tell everybody about where they can reach you, where they can see your stuff. Tell them where your brother plays for so they can keep up with him and his whole career. Just the mic is yours. Okay, so basically, you can find me on Twitter. It's Mixer Fanimo. So it's M I X A H. And Fanimo is F. A N I M O. Um, you can see me there. I haven't done polls in a long time, but you can just see me interacting generally, basically, at anything sports. Um, brother currently plays for Mlados in the Bosnia Premier League, so it's the team that has FC Sarajevo. I don't know how many of you watched the Champions League qualifiers this season when Celtic played Sarajevo um, at Celtic Park in a way. So it's that league, that team in that league. Um, it, Steve's name is Mlados, so Mlados with a capital M. You can check him out there. And just, yeah, just if you have just any, a lot of people DM me more than they interact with me on the line, on the timeline. And trust me, I respond to my, there's so many DMs, but I just respond to as many as I can because, you know, a lot of people are asking different opinions. And I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not being blunt. I'm trying to be expressive. I'm trying to give you a platform to say, okay, how do you feel? Because I feel like what some of the people who follow in that, they feel that bigger accounts or accounts who have some followers are a bit obnoxious or don't really want to entertain their thought process. I really want to yeah. just hear what you're saying because if I, can't, if I don't hear what you're saying, I might not learn 
Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not watch yeah. every league. Mm-hmm. As much as I want to, it's impossible. There's, I'm going to miss something. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I even follow <laughs> other accounts who I know who are more prominent on other leagues so I can learn from them. So if there's any questions you want to ask me, you know, um, if you've got any personal questions or anything else that you want to discover about football, please don't say, don't, don't hesitate to get at me. Make sure you follow me. Um, he, I'm sure he will put his at on this thing. Great person to follow. Loving Manchester United fan. So, <laughs> well, it's been great sharing my opinion. Yeah. Um. Remember, you're listening to the Off the Top podcast. Remember to follow the podcast at Off the Top Pod with an underscore at the end. Follow me on Twitter at Chukso at Micah said C H U K X O O for my non-biased opinions on whether United should sack social and whether Rashford is actually talented in any way. I promise. All my <laughs> all my all everything I tweet is unbiased. I have no bias involved. Well thank you. That's been another episode of the Off the Top podcast. Remember to tune in when we when we drop another one. Thank you and bye. Bye.